Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? I'm building models to augment humans, whereas almost everyone else is trying to build an AGI to pretty much replace humans and look over them. But I'm like... You guys, you should be telling us what you're doing. So that's why you're saying op- what OpenAI is doing is dangerous because their goal is different. Their goal is different, but also they have zero transparency, zero governance, and they're building technology that, according to themselves, they have this thing on their position on AGI. They say, this can be an existential threat to humanity, and we're treating it as such. I, I kind of would not like to build an existential threat to humanity, and they're stating that. And they say, this will over- end and overthrow our democracies. I'm like, please include me in the discussion. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. This week we have a great one for you. On the program we have Imad Mostak. He's the founder and CEO of Stability.ai, which along with OpenAI is the company that has really created this AI moment we are all experiencing. So Stability is the company behind Stable Diffusion, the text-to-art image generator that, when it was released about six months ago, kind of set the internet alight. It really showed just how powerful these tools, these AI tools can be, you know, just putting in a prompt and creating these really incredible images. Um, And interestingly, Stability is an outlier in that all of the tools it is releasing are open source, meaning that Their code is uh, free to access, it's free to use and build upon, and this is the opposite of OpenAI, which, despite its name, has basically said, this tech is just way too powerful. Yes, we call ourselves OpenAI, but actually we're closed now. So we're going to keep our code under lock and key. We're not going to tell you how we train our algorithms. Um, Basically telling the world, like, this stuff is potentially just really too dangerous, too powerful. Trust us, we're going to keep this under control. Now, that open versus closed debate is raging. And given that it seems like every week there's a new tool that comes out that seems to match or surpass some human capability in some field, the stakes are very, very high. So I was really excited to grab Imad, uh, who was based in London when he just came through San Francisco uh, last month. So we found a little booth in his hotel downtown, and we had a good hour to talk through why he has gone the open source route, why he thinks open AI is dangerous, and why he thinks that this AI age, upon which we are all embarking, is as consequential as man's harnessing of fire or the invention of the internal combustion engine. So all very heady, interesting, just truly fascinating stuff. So you'll be left with plenty to ponder after this one. So let's now get to my conversation with Imad Mostak of Stability AI. And just before I forget, we did this conversation about three weeks ago. So if there's a couple references that sound like what I'm talking about, for example, Italy's ban of open AI that happened last month, not last week, but just to give you that heads up. So just wanted to mention that one logistical detail. Now, here he is, Imad Mostek. I have so many questions and I'm confused about a lot of stuff. But in the past month, we had Stuart Russell on the pod. We had Sean Gorley. We had Noam Shazir from Character. 
and I've been writing a ton about it these last several months, etc. And just in the past week, Italy just said no chat GPT. You are barred from operating in the country. Yep. And then we had this letter, which I want to read, not the future of life letter, but Eliezer Yudkowsky's time post, which yeah. I think <laughs> is interest is an interesting way to kind of just orient ourselves. So Eliezer Yudkowsky, he's a very well-known figure in this world. He's been talking about AI and the dangers of AGI for years. And he says, I'll just read one passage. He says, many researchers steeped in these issues, including myself, Expect that the most likely result of building a superhumanly smart AI under anything remotely like the current circumstances is that literally everyone on Earth will die. Not as in, quote, maybe possibly some remote chance, but as in, that is the most obvious thing that would happen. It's not that you can't, in principle, survive in creating something much smarter than you. It's that it would require precision and preparation and new scientific insights and probably not having AI systems composed of giant inscrutable arrays of fractional numbers. So there's that. So we're yep. all going to die. Nah. Well, we all, <laughs> I mean, we're all going to die. You know, it's the inevitability of life. This is true. Probably not from that. He's put that out there and there's a lot of, including from folks like Elon Musk saying, you know, this is summoning the demon, etc. And then you signed this letter from the future of life institute this week calling for a six-month pause kind of everybody down tools too much is happening let's stop take a breath come up with some kind of frameworks about how we should develop this etc so i guess two questions do you think we're all going to die and why'd you sign that letter i don't think we're all going to die from this um my view on agi is that humans are quite boring so it's going to be like in her you know scarlett johansson's just going to leave us all like little broken hearts and away it kind of goes. I mean, seriously, like you look at us versus other species, do we just go and destroy them? No, not really. You know, we kind of stopped that a while ago and this will be presumably more enlightened than us. However, I could be wrong. Nobody knows. This is the thing. It's a known unknown. Right. And so what do you do when you're dealing with decision-making uncertainty? You minimize for maximum regret. Mm. And now is the time to do it. Six months ago, no one would have even bothered to read that letter. No. Six months from now, you have NVIDIA H100s, TPU V5s, new generation chips that can scale infinitely going on. You can do a GPT-3 in like four of them a day on one supercomputer with these new chips. That's going to be the, the the leap in capabilities. It's the leap in ability. So GPT-4 is an engineering marvel. Like when we're training large models, like it's like, what happened today? There's an ECC error. What does that mean? Cosmic rays caused an error. The sun is angry with us, so the language model stopped training. Okay. Like these are like large hadron collider level supercomputers, national level. Right. But now they're becoming easier and easier to scale. And again, the next leg up is in six months. So the letter itself calls for a pause on large trainings GPT four level, although obviously the details of that aren't public because OpenAI have stopped being well open. Open. And that's it. Not all other types. Because yeah. as we scale to bigger and bigger models, and this was the motivating factor of the AGI-led research labs, when it was a pipe dream. Uh, yeah, and it was kind of like, a, I mean, a lot of people are still like, this is complete bollocks, and like, everybody settled down. Exactly, until now, when it's like, right. oh, wow, it's like funnier than me, and it's a better therapist than me, and it you know can like do all this stuff, and oh, crap, it's a better coder than me. Like, now it's become real. And so a lot of these labs are like, oh, now we have to deal with like real-world consequences. So I think, for me, it wasn't much the danger of death, but I think there is a danger of death. It was just a case of zero governance or transparency in any mm. large lab. We have no idea how they make decisions. And they say, we'll make good decisions. How? And who is it? It's just a few individuals at the moment. Let's have a public debate about that, and let's look at other dangers as well. It's not just the danger of that. It's the danger of displacement of jobs. It's a security danger. There are all sorts of these other things that needs to be structured discussion around. And if we as an industry don't come together and do that, I can tell you the regulators will, just like in Italy, like you said. Mm -hmm. So I want to step back before diving back in. If we step back from where you sit, running Stability AI, when we think about how do we orient our thinking around this as a tool, uh, you know, in the history of tools of humanity, the internal combustion engine or whatever, the fire where does this rank? Is this truly different? Is this going to be the kind of, from where you sit, after this point, everything's going to be different? Yes. I think this is somewhere between fire and the internal combustion engine. I was talking to the founder of a trillion dollar company for dinner. I can't say who it was, who literally said, this is fire. 
And so I told him to stop building rockets, um, but I'm coming to do this. But <laughs> think about it. What are we as humans? We're a story-driven species, and mm-hmm. it's allowed us to scale unlike any other animal. You know, money is a story. This is a story. The Gutenberg Press allowed us to take these stories and put it down, but it lost a lot of our nuance. Like if you watch the movie Moana, you know, you've got Maui, and he pulls a hook at sun from the ocean. Why is that? Because all the Polynesians ever knew was that. How do you capture that in a book? So right. our organizations were very lossy in the way they did it. So instead, they become slow, dumb AI that basically tried to make us understandable and legible by putting us in boxes. And so it was. we scaled, but scaling is a bit weird. Like every school in the world is basically childcare mixed with a social status game. It's not optimized for education. You know, our governments, do any of us trust them? Not really, because they are slow and dumb. Right. But the people in them are motivated. This technology basically allows us to capture more information and context for everyone to allow us to scale individually, because suddenly we have an army for $20 a month of really talented grads that occasionally go off their meds, which is what these language models are like. Right. So they can help us reason. And then we'll be able to use this technology to organize our information for us to gather around, because like this talk in a year, it'll be automatically transcribed, organized, put within the times as kind of knowledge base, and you'll be pulling in all these elements automatically. That's amazing for scaling, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So I think this is a huge thing because, again, we are story-driven creatures, and this will allow us to tell better stories, understand better stories, and scale better as humans. So just on that leap forward, because I think this is an important piece that not many people understand. Certainly, I put myself in this camp. The chips that are required to train these models and those supercomputers you talked about, can you talk about that and what is, what is coming? Like, what is the bottleneck right now, and how, what does that look like a year from now? Yeah, so in 2017, there was a paper that came out called Attention is All You Need mm-hmm. about a new type of machine learning. So old school machine learning took the past and extrapolated to the future. And so it was based about extrapolation. You like these things, let's target you with that ad. Yeah. Most of Web2 was kind of you know ad targeting, big AIs. This is a new type of thing whereby it understands principles similar to the human brain because we tend to filter information and pay attention to what's important. The foundation of the whole of computing is information theory which says information is important in as much as it changes the state. So if your listeners listen to this and they've not learned anything new, it's completely not valuable. Totally. So this new mechanism using these kind of GPUs and these big computer chips could pay attention to what was important and extract principles. So with Stable Diffusion, our image model that we released, we took 100,000 gigabytes of images and the labels of those images. How many images is that or do we even know? Two billion. Two billion images, okay. Yeah, and the output was a two gigabyte file. So 50,000 to one compression. Okay. That is not actually compression because it's impossible to compress that amount unless we invented a new type of compression, in which right. case, hey, my company's worth a trillion dollars now. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, line up. <laughs> Instead of what it did, it was it learned the principles. So if you have cup, it's like you have a world cup, cup your hands, you know, all these concepts of cup. There's something called a latent space that figured out all those principles and extensions. So when you're using ChatGPT or an image model or something like that, it's just a few gigabytes from trillions and trillions. Basically a reasoning structure. It's a reasoning structure. So that's why I said these are reasoning machines. It is unfair to believe that these things can compress knowledge and information because otherwise we've invented a new type of compression that is thousands of times better. So you complement these with existing retrieval systems, and that is the leap forward. It's the two parts of your brain. You have a part of your brain that's very logical mm-hmm. and retrieves information. You have a part of your brain that's like, holy crap, there's a tiger in that bush. You know, the heuristic part of your brain. And so we've figured out the other part of the brain now. And so what is this new generation of chips going to do? They allow you to scale the ability to absorb and understand that attention. So in the previous generations of chips, what happened is that as you scaled up, because uh, you could stack them, you suddenly got this attenuation. So the efficiency dropped and you got to a point where you couldn't scale anymore. Like it just flatlined. So more chips didn't give you better performance. And so when we're talking about chips, just so people can visualize it. So those 2 billion images that you guys processed, what was the rig required? What is that like a room this size full of servers or is it five rooms this size full of servers? They aren't that big. Um, So it would have been about that one. We optimized heavily. So again, we approached it from a different aspect to most people. It was 256 chips that drew 500 watts of electricity each. Um, So like, you know, the graphics cards you get, just imagine 256 PlayStations. 
Because when you say chip, I think tiny, tiny chip. And I think yeah, that's now it's most... like the GPUs you see in these souped-up computers with all the LED lights. Right. You know, that's what it's actually that's like. That's a chip. That is a chip, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. So like Nvidia so like a VCR size. I mean, I'm dating myself now. Yeah, again, I'm, let's let's go with Sony PlayStation Five, right? Right, go on Xbox, right? Yeah, yeah. Like a whole bunch of Xboxes lined up, right? But super highly optimized, so it's way yeah. more powerful than that, um, drawing quite a lot of compute. Like our current supercomputer is about eight megawatts of electricity. It draws eight down. megawatts. Yeah, I, I was note renewable, but eight megawatts Very of electricity. Good. Love it. Yeah. I used to cover um, energy in my previous life. So eight megawatts is something like, is that 8,000 or 80,000 homes? Uh, I think it's like 80,000 homes or yeah. something like that. But again, the interesting thing is the old way of doing things with AI was that information retrieval was very easy, but then processing it was very hard. This has yeah. flipped it. So we do all of the training up front. We like teach the grad and then put him through university and he's, you know, it's a bit tough for him. And he comes out to the real world. <laughs> and then it's cheaper to do that. You don't have to pay like 100000 to put him through university again. You just pay him a salary, right? Right. Um, and so... And the salary is the power consumption. Power consumption it. of running it. The power yeah. consumption of running it is tiny. The power consumption of creating it is large, but it's a one-time thing. Got you. Whereas it used to be tiny power consumption for absorbing the information for Google and then even more for running it. So right. we've actually flipped the power consumption paradigm. So this, these new chips, just to, to close that off, what you did a year ago or six months ago to train the, the current model, the last model, yeah. presumably that what you would need for once you have this new generation of chips will be dramatically smaller than that. Five times less. Five times less. Well, that's for our models on the image side, for the language models, these chat GPT type things. Yeah. That's where it really shines. Because as you scale these, you got to, again, these like large super collider type structures, these huge infrastructures, right? You literally got cosmic rays and all these kinds of things and breakdowns like, you know, we melt GPUs. Like they literally physically melt as we run them. That in actually happens. Scale. Yeah. Oh, wow. um, and so there's this poor guy, presumably a data center, just hot swap them out, you know? Right, right, right. Because it's precision computing at an incredible scale. Like mm -hmm. we run 10 times the compute of NASA. And others are bigger than that. Like in the UK context, um, the fastest supercomputer in the UK is Cambridge One, which yeah. cost $100 million. And that's 640 of these chips. We have 10 times as much. 10 times as much what? Chips as the fastest supercomputer in the UK. So you have the fastest supercomputer in the UK? Well, it's based in Virginia. But yeah, it's faster than the fastest supercomputer in the UK. Right. I'm, I'm just kind of giving you an example. Like, right, right. Um, these things are scaling astronomically, but then the new UK exascale supercomputer that's been announced. So we'd be the ninth or tenth fastest supercomputer in the world publicly, our cluster. The new supercomputer the UK has just announced based on these new chips is 20 times faster than that. The 900 million pound computer. Right. So this thing is scaling massively. So these models can be created by just about anyone. Well, so this is against a point of confusion for me. So you have OpenAI and everybody, including yourself, has been like, well, OpenAI should be called closed AI or whatever because they've kind of, they've thrown the shutters up to a large degree. They've started sharing a lot less. But I guess my question is, it feels like every week there's a new LLM, new large language model. Be like, this can fit on your iPhone and it's pretty much as good as ChatGPT. Or like uh, there's this group of Stanford students who built or kind of finely tuned the llama model which was what meta put out open source and they're like we train this it costs us six hundred dollars to train this language model and it's basically as good so one is that true and two if that is the world then what does it matter whether i open ai is open or closed or who cares because this is swiftly going to become just the base a new base layer upon which everything is built and it's all going to be commoditized well, I think first of all, Llama had to, Facebook had to build that model, right? Yeah. Which costs maybe $20 million, you know, and then they put it out on a non commercial license, so mm -hmm. you can't use it. And then the Stanford group and others took it and they adjusted it. So mm -hmm. again, the graduate was already trained. It's right. not as good as ChatGPT or GPT 4, except for in a very few small things. So they trained right. it very specifically, whereas ChatGPT, GPT 4 are general purpose models that can do just about anything. Right. And they're remarkably good. They can pass the the bar exam. You know, they can yep. go to Stanford. They've got good enough degrees. GPT-4 without being tuned 
can pass the level three Google engineer exam. So it can be an engineer at Google, which maybe they need, <laughs> given the competitive <laughs> thing right now, right? Um, so these are kind of different levels. Uh, but uh, you know, my thing is that swarm intelligence beats these very large models. I think the benefits of scaling, as it's called, mm. stacking more compute and going ridiculous will be attenuated versus putting these models openly out to people to adapt. So our image model stable diffusion we put out, and we do language models and the other things as well. We sped it up 150 times since launch. What has sped up? The speed of running it. The speed of I put something in, it spits something out? Yes. Right. So it was six seconds for an image, now it's like 50 images a second. Wow. It's been optimized everywhere. Because it's one of the most popular open source softwares in the world ever. We overtook Bitcoin and Ethereum cumulatively, their 10 years of GitHub stars in two months. Across the entire ecosystem, it's more popular than Linux. So, what's, you, a, what's a GitHub star just for those who don't? Know exactly uh, it's how much is. developers like it. So, if you like the repository where the code yeah. lives, you say like. Yeah. So, it's more liked by developers than two months Ethereum and Bitcoin, where everyone's like developer interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Linux is overtaken as the ecosystem. But this is the thing: like there are different paradigms of how these models work. When it comes down to these supercomputers, we don't know how big models work. It's like the brain, right? You just don't know how your brain works. Yeah, but we really don't know because as you scale the compute and you scale these parameters and you build bigger and bigger brains, mm -hmm. they show emergent properties, like they start to lie and things like that. Like GPT-4, they hooked up to the internet and then it started ordering around TaskRabbit workers. You know, so suddenly it could go to the real world, you know? And it's like, we don't sh we're not exactly sure what this does, you know? Yeah. If it's better at a coder, like they use it now in Copilot, which is GitHub, mm -hmm. it's a coding assistant. 48% of all code on GitHub now is AI generated, new code. 48% of new code. Yeah. Half of all the code. And so as this gets more and more convincing, what happens then? We're not sure. We're not sure as a society. You know, like that her thing from that movie with Scarlett Johansson, yeah. we can do that now. So my sister-in-law, for example, had another UK AI company, Synantic. Mm -hmm. uh, she did the voice for Val Kilmer and Val. She reconstructed his voice, video games. She sold to Spotify. So the new audio DJ on Spotify is based on that technology. It's a perfect human voice that adapts dynamically. So if you have something that can write perfect scripts with perfect voices and things like that, that's another problem. Yeah. And again, it's moving so fast that I was like, let's just take a little bit of a breather, breather. here. But more importantly, let's self-organize and put in place some standards and transparency for how we make these decisions. Mm. Because there's what's legal, there's what's moral, there's what's ethical, and what's right. And this is a very interesting thing, because we are the open source leaders in terms of we make everything open and transparent. Everyone scrapes the internet. Yep. They don't say they do. Whereas we said, let's make it clear. This is how things work. This is what it do. We believe. And you're getting sued over that. I know we can't talk about it, but you're getting I mean, sued. you can talk about it. Yeah. But the response is kind of comment on litigation. <laughs> but, you know, we have like the guy who wrote the book on fair use and things like that. So, you know, we're comfortable in our position. Yeah. So legally and morally, ethically, we believe we're right. However, we offered opt out of that data set. So we've had governments come to us and say, should you be allowed to scrape anything? Because in certain countries, you can. Mm -hmm. So you can take stuff off the internet and use it to train a model because it's like, you know, a human looking at that and learning from it. Yeah. Transformation. And I said, even though it's easier for me, I don't think it's right. I think you should have the opportunity to opt out. So we offered an opt out and 168 million images were opted out of our data set. How does that show up, that opt out option? So we worked with an independent party in case people didn't trust us. And you could go there and you can opt out your entire website. You could opt out entire images and they'd be removed from the data set we used to train a future open model. Mm. You know? Right. Because we thought, again, that was a reasonable thing to do uh, because it's complicated. Like, what happens when you have a Tesla robot that can walk around and it picks up a copy of the Sunday Times and it reads it? Can it not use that for training data? It's copyrighted stuff. Yeah. It's a freaking robot, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we're getting into a place where there's so many complicated discussions, but. We don't know how these big models that are very powerful versus these smaller models that are very adaptable but not individually powerful will act. So I don't think it's an Eliza type thing where we're all going to die. I think it's instead a case of we just don't know. And right. policymakers can't keep up. Society can't keep up. So let's put it out there. Let's get the discussion going. I think you're seeing it now appear everywhere again. Italy banning chat GPT. Other countries will follow. Other countries will embrace it. Just mm -hmm. like teachers. 
I got calls from five headmasters over the Christmas holiday saying, Ahmad, what's my generative AI strategy? And I was like, well, what? Our kids are using ChatGPT to do their homework essays. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, you can't set homework essays anymore. Instead, embrace the technology. Well, I said that to the school that I went to, and then our rival school, I told them to do handwritten essays. So, you know, <laughs> that's just how it is. <laughs> Won't name names. Uh, people can figure it out from my background. Yeah. Um, but again, like, education is never the same. And that you think that's that's just a true statement of people? Because I think again, for example, coding. Yeah. In a couple of days, I'm having his name escapes me. Alex Welch, Welch, Fixie.ai. Do you know them? Uh, yeah, they just got the tool for my stuff. His thing is the quote unquote twelve cent engineer. Yep. And it's just he breaks down the cost of an engineer to to create them. those lines of code. As you say, it's fifty percent on GitHub is now machine generated. He's like this is the end of computer the end quote unquote it's the end of of software programming as we know it but that doesn't necessarily mean there's not going to be any human software engineers or maybe it does i don't know or they're just going to be doing different stuff yeah i think you know when startups come to me and say emad you know what should i do in this space i'm like build good product that helps people and instead they tend to build features so they don't have the traction they don't think about go to market but it's easier and easier to do that. And we've seen that. Like when I started as a developer, God, 17, 18, like 21 years ago, we didn't have GitHub and all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Kids these days, they have it so easy. <laughs> you know, like we had to do manual repository pulls. We had like assembler line. So we had very low level programming uh, for the listeners. And over time, you build more and more standardized building blocks on top. So the right. Lego becomes easier and easier and easier to do. And so it's pretty easy now, but you don't really need humans anymore. Like, I don't think there'll be like 95% of programmers in five to seven years, five years. Do you just think they're going to have to do the something AI's, Yeah, the AI is better, but that means you can Well, because, also, because presumably the ones that remain are the ones that are going to really, really leverage these tools. And so they can be, instead of, you know, the mythical 10x engineers, it's the 100x engineer or the 1000x engineer. Yeah, but then the base level of engineering goes up. Just like right. as you have technological innovation, the base level of everything goes up. So there are more photographers now professionally than ever before. But the base level of photography has gone up. I can take a good picture. Why is that? Because, you know, people The tools are better. Tools are better. So I don't know what it looks like. It's just happening very, very fast. If 50% of the code is basically AI generated already, you know, the average programmer is 40% more efficient using this technology. That was a recent study by Microsoft. And we're seeing this across different areas whereby Mm -hmm. it's not a case of, I think, computers will replace the humans. It's humans plus computers will replace humans without computers. which kind of makes sense, you know? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Well, it gets to the point around Italy, and I was I was watching someone give a talk, and they kind of equated this to like, you know, someone who's someone who sticks their hand in the sand and be like, I don't want to deal with this. No. You know, I'm barring this versus somebody who embraces it. It's kind of the difference between being born rich and being born poor in that I think that's why you need options. So I have been openly critical of OpenAI a lot. They originally started as a not-for-profit. Now they're mm-hmm. completely closed. And you know, I think what they're doing is dangerous because of the lack of governance and transparency. Last year, they released an image generation model called DALI2. Yeah. Um, words type in, images come out, mm-hmm. unless you're Ukrainian. They what banned every con- Ukrainian, the country. And if you typed in any Ukrainian words, it threatened to ban your account completely. I don't, none of the press picked that up. It's very interesting. No. It's all there. It's all recorded. 
And then I was like, why are you doing this? Like, this is a country under war. Like yeah. some of our best developers, we bought from the Ukraine and Russia during the conflict. Tech Nation in the UK helped get them residency. And, you know, they're working super hard building them. Actually, now they've built the best image model in the world, Deep Floyd. Deep Floyd? Yeah, that's the name of the model. They like Deep Floyd. Yours is. Yours. Yeah. Is that yeah, that's okay. our Ukrainian-Russian team. Right. And they were just aghast. They were like, what does the future look like if the only option is one of these companies, like all the Ukrainians suddenly couldn't be human plus machine. They could just be human. Right. And there is no recourse or anything like that. So these are very important decisions to be made. And on the other side, the Italian government is looking at, I don't know what's happening to the data of my miners and mm. this and that. I don't have any other option, but I think I need to take a pause right now until they fix these. And I'm sure they will fix it and it'll be back. Yeah. But I don't think it's a case of Luddism or maybe... Yadism, as Eliza kind of would put it. <laughs> um, I think instead it's a case of you have to minimize for maximum regret when you're dealing with uncertainty. And there is so much uncertainty here. Yeah. And it's breached that level now where, again, it's, ex it's everything everywhere all at once. So we need to create standards. We need to help people kind of through mm -hmm. this. And we need to offer options. So our option is the open option because we're going to make these our brains. You know, we already see people like typing to it, just like, you know, sometimes you're on Google Maps and you end up like in the middle yeah. of nowhere. I think we discussed earlier, I'd never been to San Francisco and uh, Bay Area once before October. So I'm learning all of this. Uh, it took me, I was going to someone's house, it took me to the middle of nowhere. I got out. Yep. And then I was wandering around in the dark because the automated Waymo disappeared. And then like I heard a rustle in the woods and I thought, I was like, oh my God, am I either going to get killed by a cougar or a robot dog? <laughs> and it was a robot dog. I was like, what? It wasn't actually a robot dog. It was a robot dog. That can't be true. No, they're, they're, they're testing it. Seriously. That's kind of amazing. It's kind of amazing. That's a very, very San Francisco story. It is. This place is so weird. Anyway, <laughs> kind of, you know, going back to that, you know, like I said, you have to kind of understand that there's a lot of fear around this. There's mm -hmm. a lot of things, but also we're entrusting more and more of ourselves to this technology. The computers are an extension of our brain, and there's the backlash against social media as the extension of the brain. My thing, you know, borrowing from the best of Web3, which is mostly rubbish, is, you know, not your weights, not your brain, yep. where the weights are the model. And the weights are all the kind of the different parameters, biases, et cetera, that kind of determines it's, the output. It's the compression. So it's a file, yeah. a single two gigabyte file. Like again, with Stable Diffusion, our text to image model, four of the top 10 apps on the App Store in December were entirely based on that single file. No other code. Hmm. Those are the ones where you uploaded, uh, you know, images of yourself, and it created those avatars. Yep. You know, like these are entire backends by themselves, where you can just code and create things almost instantly. Right. But then, are you borrowing it from someone who controls whether or not you can have it if you're Ukrainian, or do you have the option of having your own? Hmm. And so we're on the other side of that, where we believe this is going to be almost a human right to have access to this technology. Because I do believe it is between fire and the combustion engine, a reasoning engine that can extend our capabilities. And so there has to be that option. This is also why you're seeing things like BritGPT. The United Kingdom, every nation will need to have their own open models that reflect their culture as well. Because mm. do you want to have your extended brain be a San Francisco brain? <laughs> Negative. No. Negative. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no. No offense to those from San Francisco. I mean, anyone in San Francisco will say, yeah, probably not. <laughs> Right. And so do you think that of this, you know, we talk about all the kind of techies out here talking about platforms, platform shifts, et cetera. This feels talking about fire, whether it's like in terms of technology, is this like the dawn of the internet, the introduction of the iPhone? It feels like at least as significant as that, or perhaps even more. I think it's far more significant than the iPhone, as amazing as the iPhone is. I do think we're at the iPhone 3G stage at the moment. We're just scratching the surface of this. But again, yeah. we all know... Anyone who's kind of worked in a reasonably senior position knows how amazing is an amazing grad or EA. Mm. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so you just trust to get on with things. These technologies are at that stage now. Mm. There was a paper by Google called Palm and Palm 2, uh, MedPalm, MedPalm 2, where they took their big language model, um, which is a bit unwieldy, and then they trained it on medical, on human understanding first. So again, taking that deep learning, this generalized model and make it more human. It went from 50% to 76% on medical question answering. Then they trained it on specific knowledge in that domain. It went to 93%, which is the same as a human professional doctor. And this is a 200 gigabyte file that fits on your MacBook. It runs slow, but eventually it'll run fast. Imagine always having a professional doctor in your pocket. 
that also knows about law and all sorts of other things and knows about you. Mm. That is an insane thing. And we're at the edge of that right now. Right. And you'll have a professional EA and an army of grad students that can go and get you any information and bring it instantly in any format. That's insane. Until it's like super intelligence on tap for any purpose. I say intelligence augmentation on tap for any purpose. Yeah. Again, you have this sudden army of information warriors that will look out for you and be adapted to you and your organization and your community and others. Right. And again, there's a question of, you know, is it a McKinsey type thing where you're renting them from OpenAI and from Anthropic and Google and others? Or, you know, are you hiring them yourself and you're teaching the grads what you're doing? So I think, you know, there'll be both. You'll have both. So on that, just to kind of put a fine point between the closed versus open model. You as a business, I know you probably can't comment on this, supposedly you're raising a whole boatload of money at a very large valuation. You're going to have investors, they're going to want a return. Yeah. What is the business model? If OpenAI is like, we're going to charge you $20 a month for a GPT plus and you get to play with all this stuff and we're going to start, basically they're launching an app store with this API plugins, et cetera, so you can kind of integrate it into Instacart and all these other different services. That seems pretty straightforward. How do you make money? Every nation in the world will need to have their own models based on their own culture and data. Mm-hmm. It's a more important infrastructure than 5G and they will spend more on it than 5G, which is a trillion dollars that they've spent on 5G. So you effectively, you would be selling Spectrum. Selling Spectrum. We would help every nation in the world with this. So we have the first countries coming online now. We're building open models, we're upgrading the nature or we're building entire teams and localized models. And then the biggest companies in the world also want their own models. And we're the only modeling agency that can deliver a model of any single type. So we're in a unique position here. OpenAI can't do that. They won't do that. They will not build a model for you. If the Sunday time, if the times came and said, I want a model that's specialized for me that I own. Right. No company in the world will do that except for us and have the pedigree to do that and the backing of our ecosystem. So effectively, you know, we build models for other people, but we're going to build the benchmark models that everyone uses to make life simpler. Again, it's like a game engine. So, you know, I used to be a video game investor and when the Wii U came out, the games were a bit mm-hmm. crap. Yeah. And when you got to the Wii U at the end of its life, you had Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, an amazing game. Hmm. People don't want to build their own game engines. They want to take one and standardize it and do that. So we're going to build the benchmark model for every single media type, audio, visual, this, that sectoral variants of it that are commercially licensed. Mm. So doctor, education, because you need those regulated industries. You need auditable, interpretable models that you can see everything inside it. But it doesn't need to be an open data set for that. It can be a licensed data set. And then national variants. And then we get revenue shares, we get licensing fees, and we get paid to build these models for nations and help them as well because they're scared. Yeah. You know, but they know they need to have this. And this is what you're basically an infrastructure provider. I'm an infrastructure provider. Next generation infrastructure. This is the information infrastructure of the future. Right. How'd you get into this? Can we go all the way back to when you were in short pants? No, maybe not quite that far back. (laughs) (laughs) So you were born, according to Wikipedia, in Jordan? Yeah, my family was there for like a month. And then we were like, oh, off we go, back to Bangladesh. Uh, I grew up and then came to London, worked my British accent, and it got pretty good. That's very good. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, and then I always kind of loved stories and kind of technology. Um, I have Asperger's and ADHD, so it was quite difficult to relate to people, but I was academically quite good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then I went to university in maths computer science, so I was a developer before that. And just, like, really loved everything. So I worked... When on, you were a developer, where were you, what, what were you doing? Where were you working? I took my gap year. I worked at Metaswitch, which was what my Microsoft, doing enterprise-level kind of software development in my mm-hmm. gap year to pay for university. Came from quite humble beginnings in Walthamstow in East London. I know Walthamstow. Yeah, so that's... I uh, used to live in Tuffnell Park and, you know, it's... Yeah, I know, yeah, I know Walthamstow. So that's kind of where I came up. Uh, my sister was born there. What did your parents do? Uh, my dad was a lecturer at CAS and then helped with the strategy for building some of the new cities uh, in Saudi. Um, and oh, my wow. mom works in the NHS. Okay. So smoking cessation and a number of other things. Oh, wow. Um, still working there at the moment. Uh, she loves her job. And, uh, yeah, you know, like, I'm just always interested in the world. And then maths, computer science at uni, but then I was kind of good at maths, kind of good at computer science because I was an enterprise developer. So I went to do, do movie stuff because I love movies. When you do movie stuff, what does that mean? I worked on the British Independent Film Awards, Rain Dance Film Festival and things like that. 
independent movie reviewer, watched too many bad movies, and then got burned you didn't, out. You're an independent movie reviewer? Yeah, for independent movie festivals. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then watched so many bad ones that now my favorite movie is Mars Attacks, which is just like, you turn off your brain. It's, it's a very strange movie. It's a very strange movie. Very strange movie. This is what's exciting now, the future of movies. Um, so I did that. Um, then I became a hedge fund manager by accident. I joined a hedge fund. A bunch of people left, and it was very supportive. I uh, did lots of video game investing in particular because I didn't know anything else. And those are public markets. Public markets, yeah. Uh, emerging markets, frontier markets. Liked investing in places where you could see your money go in, and then it lift up things. Yep. And then my son was diagnosed with autism, and I quit. How old is your son? He's 14 now. They said there was no cure, no treatment. Yep. And I was like, there probably is. So we built AIs to do drug repurposing, to look at all the literature and then extract what could be the case and then do drug repurposing. And what we found out was that with autism, it's basically, you know, there's two compounds in your brain, GABA and glutamate. GABA calms you down when you pop a Valium. Mm-hmm. Glutamate excites you, like when you're tapping your leg and you can't focus. Because a lot of intelligence is about focus and filtering. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of children with autism can't build language, just like when you have a stroke and things. But then when you can reduce that in their brain, you can then focus and then rebuild. Remember what I said earlier about cup mm-hmm. and the nature of a cup, mm-hmm. all those things around that. Yep. A cup can mean cup your ears, cup your this. You can do that rapidly and reteach it. So this is why I love this technology so much, because it reminds me of the work with our son on his ASD, autism spectrum disorder. And, you know, he went to mainstream school and he's happy. So did you actually, that those AIs that you built to do that, they helped? Or they helped. You, yeah. you repurposed some of these drugs and kind of... Yeah, with medical help and assistance. Right, right, yeah. right, right, and, right. Uh, and your own, I presume your own, your approach to that was informed by you also being on the spectrum. Yes. And so you have to have coping mechanisms. Everyone's different. Everyone has coping mechanisms. Everyone's brain is different. Like I have aphantasia. I can't visualize anything in my head. I thought that when people said, visualize yourself on a beach, they were making it a metaphor. Apparently not. People have pictures in their head. Yeah. How awesome is that? (laughs) You know, like people have voices in their head, their internal voice. I'm like, you have an internal voice? It's like completely quiet in here. Maybe it's empty. I don't know. Right? So everyone's got their own. I doubt it's empty. (laughs) Everyone's got their own coping mechanism. This is the thing. Like a lot of our technology and a lot of our systems do not capture the breadth of human experience. It treats us like numbers. So there's this mm. mathematical concept called ergodicity. Tossing a thousand coins at once is the same as tossing a thousand coins in a row. And our medical system and others treat us completely the same. They can't do first principles analysis. So, you know, after that, we set up our charity that does education. Um, so we've been deploying tablets to refugee camps around the world, Imagine Worldwide, teaching 76% of children literacy and numeracy in 13 months on one hour a day in a refugee camp, which is insane. Really? Yeah. So now we're taking that to every child in Malawi and then across Africa. And we're going to bring this AI, our motivating factor is to bring ChatGPT type AI to every child in Africa and Asia with an education system that's personalized to them because the only thing that's been proven to work teaches them and learns from them. And I guarantee in five mm-hmm. years, they will have a better education system than anywhere in the world. How did you end up there doing, like, you know, focusing on Africa, focusing on the developing world, focusing on people who had the biggest challenges of just the basics of life. It's the highest ROI. Um, so it's kind of interesting. My college roommate, uh, college course mate was Ben Dello, who was Britain's youngest billionaire. We did maths computer science together at Worcester in Oxford. Mm. Uh, he set up BitMEX. And then he was the original funder of Vector Altruism. Mm. So he was the proto Sam Bangman Fried, as it yes, were. Yes, 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 yes. And Effector Altruism is all about people in the future and calculations. We see, sometimes it turns out a bit weird. <laughs> Um, (laughs) that's uh, that's an understatement so are you an effective altruist? no right my thing is basically we had a lot of discussions my thing was the rights of children today because they don't have any agency and it's disgusting that as a society we can't support every child with what they need Mm. so if I give every child a tablet and artificial intelligence as good as GPT-4 that can teach them learn from them and adapt to them so if you're dyslexic, it can show you the right information. If you're auditory learner, visual learner, mm-hmm. it can help guide you in healthcare education. They will be able to access the resources they need and the world will be better. It's the highest ROI in the world. Right. So like we have a new type of bond that we've worked out with the World Bank and a bunch of investment banks. If you want to make a charitable donation, then you whack it down. You only give it if a million kids are provably educated, $20 million. And then all these infrastructure banks and asset managers will pay that up front based on that pledge. 
underwritten by the That's, World Bank. That exists. That's a thing. It's putting the final pieces in place so we can scale this to a billion children. And if I give a billion children a ChatGPT or level AI, the world will change. Mm-hmm. Highest ROI in the world. Because again, this is what I look for. Where is the return on investment? And it's a social return on investment. Like we are failing our children around the world. Nobody listening to this, none of you are happy with your schools. Our schools are childcare mixed with social status games. Yep. It's not about giving our children the agency and the skills we need. I wouldn't recommend every parent listening to this use ChatGPT, use image generators like Midjourney, and see how creative your children are. The first images created were actually from us were two years ago for my daughter Isla. After I did the um, education thing and with Joe Wolf, I can imagine worldwide.org, check it out. It's awesome. Yep. Uh, my co founder Joe runs that. We did um, COVID AI research. So I launched mm. at Stanford, Kayak, Collective Augmented Res- Intelligence Against COVID 19, backed by the WHO, World Bank, UNESCO, all these other people, me with no PhD, trying to pull it together with a bunch of others, yep. saying, let's organize the world's COVID knowledge and make it accessible and useful. Like um, Jeremy Howard, who runs the MedArc community that we support, because we have all these open source communities, did the mask study of 179 mask papers and condensed them into one that changed global masking policy. You can use technology to do these things. Mm. And we had all these bureaucratic nightmares, and then it burnt me out a bit. And I realized this technology must be available to everyone. Right. And then it led to my daughter and her. Where she was like, Dad, all the stuff you could do with compressing that knowledge, can you do it with images? And two years ago, we realized I could. And so I built a system where 13 hours later, she did a vision board and a description of what she wanted, 16 images, and how each one of them was different from what she wanted again and again and again. 13 hours later, she made an image that she sold for $3,500 as an NFT in Web3 back in the day. And then she gave all the proceeds to India Code Relief. And I was like, if my seven-year-old can do this, although obviously she's amazing, yeah. why don't we bring this to everyone so they can create anything? Right. And that's kind of how we got to where we are today, which is there's an amazing business from providing this infrastructure to everyone for the private data in the world, working with the biggest companies in the world, helping governments. And you never have to be closed. And some people will use the closed ones. It's absolutely fine. So Midjourney is an art generator. I gave a complete grant to get that off the ground because I thought it was amazing. I said, I don't want any equity or anything because it's amazing the ability of this technology. I don't mind that it's closed. And the world needs both. You need Windows and you need Linux. Yeah. You need what you can control and you need to have the really packaged solution. And how is London as a place to build a company like this? I think it's an amazing place. I think that the government has been incredibly forward-sighted. So R&D tax credits in the UK, unlike anywhere in the world, include compute and supercompute. So oh, that, really? Yep. That was a change that comes in effect this April, you know, pushed by the uh, previous government, actually, uh, one before Theresa May, yeah. which is Sunak kind of core as kind of chancellor. We have the scale-up visas and the residency visas and the talent visas. So again, we brought um, people out of Russia and the Ukraine to the UK. One week, Tech Nation turned that around. And wow. then they became residents fleeing the war zones and they're incredibly talented and they're contributing to UK society. So it's about talent, it's about the R&D support. And I think the UK is being very forward-looking on a lot of these things while trying to be, again, kept cautious. Like, you know, we have the various regulations that are coming forward. It's a fine balance. But I think compared to Europe, where, again, you're getting bans as default and yeah. they want to be leaders of regulation, the UK is incredibly forward-looking. So I have a lot of hope. I think Notting Hill, where we're based, will be the AI center. And we also have DeepMind, you know, under Google, which is a thousand of the top engineers in the world. So do you have a sense of why nothing seems, okay, nothing, quote unquote, but Google is Google, DeepMind is DeepMind. These are like some of the biggest brains in the world are all in those two companies or really one company. And it seems again and again, uh, the march seems to be stolen on them. And I'm just wondering if you have any sense, I'm sure you have no people at those organizations. Is it fair to look at this as like just a monumental failure to not take a lead here? I think it's, again, when you have technology this powerful, you change from decision-making under risk where you assess an outcome because it's quite probabilistic to decision-making under uncertainty where you minimize for maximum regret. So... Satya Dandela's investment in OpenAI was a masterstroke because the regret function of OpenAI is a lot less than Microsoft, so they could experiment and put this technology yeah. out, whereas Google doesn't have an equivalent, you know, except for their work with us, maybe. And so they didn't have the ability to iterate that fast. Um, there was a deep wall between DeepMind mm. and Google Brain because they were scared about the AGI taking all the information and killing us all. 
But you know, Demis is a very sensible uh, kind of person. Demis Hassabis, the head of yeah. DeepMind. And yes, yeah, so I think it's starting to come down, which is institutional inertia. Nobody's ever seen technology move this fast. It feels crazy. It feels like every week there's something new and wild and powerful. And you're like, oh, wow, that's a thing now. But that's how it looks for you. Because, you know, sometimes you talk to people inside an industry and they're like, well, yeah, but it's not as dramatic as you think because I've been working on this cold phase for the past X number of years. And this is just, yeah, of course, this is what's happening now. No, I mean, nobody, everyone in the industry is like, what on earth is going on? I need an AI to organize the AI information. Um, again, it's kind of paralyzed everything everywhere all at once. If you look at the machine learning papers on Archive, which is where the research papers go, it's a literal exponential. And it isn't often that you see a literal exponential that goes up like that. So, yeah, it's, it's difficult to keep on top because you don't know which is going to be the next impactful thing. Like, literally, since release in August, six months ago, we sped up our image generator 150 times. Yeah. And we're just entering from the research, the engineering phase of this technology for it to proliferate around the world. A similar aspect to that would be like Bitcoin. Again, it started on GPUs, it ended up on ASICs which are these customized chips. Right. This will happen to this as well. It will be on your iPhone in a few years, a GPT-4 level experience with Siri not being dumb. Yeah, it's like your your super smart butler who's with you at all times. And looks out for you. What do you mean? So right now, AI does not look out for you. It looks out for the ad companies, right? Mm. Across most of the internet. Wouldn't it be great if the AI actually looked out for you rather than trying to feed you ads? It would. It would, exactly. <laughs> And, you know, there's a lot of stuff where it's just about can it connect you to the right information at the right time mm. to advance your life? Like, again, if we have this discussion in a year, all your prep work, it would have automatically summarized it within half an hour. Right. You right. know, and said, you know, Emad's kind of a bit evasive about this. And, you know, but this is what you want to say if you want to go in this good side and things like that. Right, 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 right. Lastly, on the jobs front, so going back to the coding example, do you have a sense of, you know, one year out, five years out where we should look first in terms of like true disruption of where things could get kind of uncomfortable or kind of move quite fast. There are papers by actually OpenAI and um, Goldman Sachs coming out showing industries at which this happens. The integration never happens as fast as you think. Yeah. Like people said Meta, well, Facebook, which they should go back to being called. Yeah. Maybe they'll call themselves AI. I don't know. They would say that it would disrupt search. It didn't. These things are sticky and they take time. But at the same time, the people who embrace the technology outperform the people who don't. Yeah. And so any information-based system, every single company in the world should have a team or just like a grad. And he's like, your job is just to try everything that comes out and see if it's relevant to what we're doing. Because disruption come unexpectedly. It's like, holy crap, it can pass the bar exam. Yeah. You know, it can do this, it can do that. Expert systems are here. This worries me because the economy is not strong. We're at the overhang of this sugar rush from COVID-19. Mm. This, again, is why I kind of did the UN COVID thing. And I think the governments have to adapt, and they're going to have to potentially face disruption in knowledge work, which is high-skilled work. And high, well-remunerated work, and therefore a big part, part of the tax base. Exactly. At the same time, the commercial real estate is looking vulnerable and things like that. And again, that's why I think I have a lot of faith in the UK relative to many other places because the government is already showing instances of that. They're showing that they're going to embrace this technology rather than reject it. But again, they have to do it in a measured way, right? Mm. Um, so I think we'll be able to adapt better than other countries. But I hope that all countries can adapt. I hope that they think, what is the next generation of jobs? You know, what can we do to extend this out? Because I think it can be a massive increase of productivity. Or it could be yeah. the reverse, depending on how we act right now. And it's not easy. Because again, this is similar to the pandemic in a way and that that was everything everywhere all at once. Mm -hmm. This is everything everywhere all at once. And it's very rare that we see things happen this quickly overnight. Again, we would not have this discussion three months ago no. or six months ago. A year ago, it's like you can make photorealistic images of anything and write code that's perfect. Of course not. Yeah. Now here we are. It is yeah. here. But it hasn't assimilated and seep through yet. Like for all of the Bing is great and Microsoft is recovering, Google and Microsoft share prices are up the same amount this year mm -hmm. to date. And Bing is not top of the app store because it's still a terrible experience yeah. full of ads. But people will figure out better experiences, better ways to do this. And people are already saving millions and making movies and this and that. And you're already starting to see the start of displacement and the start of new job creation. What that balance is, we don't know. We have to come together to find out. When's the first AI movie? Next year. She says definitively. 
Well, yeah. <laughs> Again, who makes the best AI media models? We do. So you know that's happening right now. Do you know who's doing it? Yeah, but you can't say. Maybe it'll be announced at Cannes Film Festival in right. May. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then lastly, just on, this, on the AGI point, I feel like, and I'd love to get your take, people seem to be like, oh, this once it reaches sentience, then we're all screwed. Or this is when everything changes. But like so we had Stuart Russell on, I mentioned, and he said it's really about competence as opposed to sentience. And that when a, something is wildly more competent than you or the human race, that's when we should really get concerned. I'm just wondering how we think, how you think about this idea of like Skynet, etc. Well, I mean, we'll never know, right? Until it happens. Like people's timelines will never be less than 12 months for something more competent because it suddenly is. <laughs> You know, yeah. there's a concept called alignment of how do we align mm-hmm. a superhuman AI, which, you know, already we're seeing this. It's speeding up because 50% of code is AI generated. It's making itself almost, uh, if it does come to being, because it may never happen, but it may. How do we align it to human things? So, like, um, I was talking to Elon Musk a few days ago, and he's like, make it curious, because curious things won't kill us, because, you know, kind of interesting in some ways. Mm. Whereas my take is we're kind of boring, and it'll just go away and find more interesting things to do. You know, maybe be bored by like Marvin the Android and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We don't know. And one of the really frightening things is that alignment is orthogonal to freedom. Like they are completely opposite because we all know people more capable than us. Mm -hmm. How can we force them to do exactly what we want? The only way is to take away their freedom. And how are we going to take away the freedom of something that could be infinitely more capable than us? We don't know. So the only thing to do now is to put a lot of these discussions out into the open, have them in a structured way, and try and figure out some potential mitigants to this. My take is that swarm intelligence or giving everyone their own AIs so we can collaborate together to solve the biggest problems in the world will be any single AGI. Mm. And so that's why I want to give this to everyone. I want to build it so that you can have all the knowledge on autism or Alzheimer's, all these conditions. I think we will cure cancer in the next 10 years and all these conditions using this technology to organize our knowledge and ourselves because we have the capability to do anything as a species and we haven't figured it out. So again, humans plus computers. Actually, there's a quick final thing. Um, a lot of this was kicked off. There's a great documentary about AlphaGo, which yeah. is one of the deep mind yeah, breakthroughs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Lisa Doll was like a ninth Dan player. Everyone else was like sixth Dan. They're like, computer can never beat him. And then it wiped the floor wiped with Lisa. Wiped the floor with him, yeah. Since then, the average level of the Go player has gone up by like 30, 40%. And Lisa Doll has gone up even more. Really? Yes. Nobody yeah. ever tells that part of the story. Nobody's ever told that part of the story. But this is what we've seen. Humans plus technology, we get better. And I think this is the ultimate technology because it comes from humanity. What this is trained on is the sum of our collective knowledge, mm. images, video, audio. And that's why it can go back into our systems and make us better. So I'm hopeful, I think, bring this technology to the world, uplift humanity, uplift all the children of the world. Like even with that, fi- even just forget about the rest, just the children. Can you even imagine if every child had their own AI looking out for them? And again, there's something called the bloom effect where it's a two sigma increase. It's a massive increase in how good they are and how educated they become. In 20 years when they grow up, those kids will change the world. Yeah. And how amazing is that? So I'm more towards the utopian side than the dystopian, but at the same time, I think we have to be incredibly careful and engage and have this as a public debate. You know, we shouldn't take the easy way out, which again, people have offered us the easy way out. And so that's why I hope that, you know, stability is called stability for that reason. It's to try and make Mm -hmm. these things clearer, more standardized, bring it wide in the discussion and make it easier rather than hide behind closed doors and everyone being in this race condition to try and beat everyone else. I don't think that's productive. So that letter that you signed, yeah. if everybody was like, yeah, let's do that, everybody's like, all right, we're going to down tools. Would you actually just, what would you guys, what would, that, what would the effect be on your company? Would you actually just it has no stop? Effect. It has no effect because I build small adaptable models mm-hmm. that can be chained together rather than large models. So right. it's no skin off my shoulders either way. I have a different approach to everyone right. else in this space because I'm building models to augment humans. Whereas almost everyone else is trying to build an AGI to pretty much replace humans and look over them. But I'm like, you guys, you should be telling us what you're doing. So that's why you're saying what OpenAI is doing is dangerous because their goal is different. Their goal is different, but also they have zero transparency, zero governance, and they're building technology that, according to themselves, they have this thing on their position on AGI. They say, this can be an existential threat to humanity, and we're treating as such. 
I, I kind of would not like to build an existential threat to humanity, and they're stating that. And they say this will over end and overthrow our democracies. I'm like, please include me in the discussion, right? If you're going to do that. Oh, by the way, don't worry. Trust us. That's why we're not releasing all of the source code because it's too dangerous. But we've got this. We've got this. Please trust us. I'm like, yeah. If you're going to overthrow my democracy and you could kill us all, you know, I would like to actually have lots of transparency around fair. that. That's fair. And again, that's their words, not mine. I think it'll be fine. I could be wrong, so let's all make sure that this is all as transparent as possible. You know, fears like a lot of people are like, what if China builds AGI first? I'm like, China will just go in and download it on a thumb drive. You know, like you're not going to stop. They don't need to build it; they can just take it. Yeah. If this technology is as dangerous and capable as you say, then it's a societal decision on that one. Right. And so let's have that discussion because we live in a democracy. And right. again, other people should not decide about our futures. On that note. I'll leave you to your your juice. You didn't even get to drink any of your juice this whole time. It's probably warm now. I'm sorry. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> nothing like a warm smoothie on a hot San Francisco day. Thank you very much for your time. Appreciate Cheers. it. It's my pleasure. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Imad. We actually met on a Saturday morning, um, which is very uh, generous of him. So I wanted to thank him for taking the time. I want to thank you all for listening for the ratings, for the reviews, for telling your friends and neighbors about the pod, as always, of course. I will be writing in the paper this weekend. I've written a profile of Imad in the business section, so do check that out at thetimes.co.uk or in the actual paper. You can also email me, danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk, or you can find me on Twitter at Danny Fortson. That is it for me this week. Thank you. Thank you again. And we'll talk to you very soon. Bye-bye.